Welcome to a new meta mapping. I'm M. With me is Jackson. Hello. We're here to talk about abnormal mapping episode thirty-five. Crumpet up your strumpet. This was no, released. no. Yeah, we, we they used to have titles, Jackson. Yeah, and it's gross when you say that in the episode, and it's just as gross now. And I'm still not a fan. I still uh, listen, re-listening this episode, me saying fanny packers is actually the grossest thing I've ever said on this podcast, and I no, hate it so much. Crumpet up your strumpet is way less, is way more gross. No, uh, you're wrong. Anyway, this episode came out August 28th, 2015. If you will notice, uh, this uh, we had Destiny on as our third chair. This is in the period in which she was regularly appearing on these podcasts. Uh also of note, uh, all of the names are wrong. We're just going to keep saying this where I, you know, I was going by uh, my old name back then. This was Pure Egg Mode Podcast. <laughs> Truly, uh, the Egg Mode Podcast has begun. Yeah. The Age of Eggs. <laughs> Eternally retold. God damn it. <laughs> Uh, as you can see, this is covering Paper Mario, uh, which is a game we still need to play the sequel to someday. We will, I think. It runs well on Dolphin, I'm told. We can do this anytime. Yeah, no, I know. I have a GameCube. I could just buy a copy and play it, I guess. Yeah, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. I don't even have a Wii. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't have a Wii anymore either, actually. So I have a Wii U and a GameCube. That's all you really need. Yeah, you need the you need you don't need two GameCubes strapped together. You just need a GameCube. <laughs> yeah, just one GameCube. Mm-hmm. Um, worth noting, I produced a zine for this episode. Uh, you can still find it only at Gumroad because apparently Nintendo's lawyers scrub through Itch.io and erase everything having to do with Nintendo every once in a while. But they don't care about Gumroad. I don't understand how this all works, but that's how it works. So it's on Gumroad. We will link it in the episode. Jackson, we used to write for our website (laughs) there's a moment in this where you talk to me about the metal gear writing i'm doing and about the um like before we talk about the great game stuff and you say like the oh you always spin off writing about games into some huge thing that you're never able to stop and little did we know that actually that would be the, the thing that break that broke me completely, and now I've never read about a game again. <laughs> oh, that's not it. This is not at all what I was talking about. But yes, yeah, sure. There's that. I I didn't want to get too deep into the Metal Gear stuff because eventually we have to cover your Metal Gear episodes where we can talk about the Metal Gear stuff. But in- I meant that as a prelude to this great game yes. thing, as like this is a project that we started as an idea of an ongoing thing, but. Th- us writing about games had or like we didn't realize that it had just been a thing that we'd lost <laughs> yeah um part of it is like you know we we were a podcast and we did we don't i like i don't write for a living you don't really write for a living you know like i used to do that for the internet but i don't anymore um and so the idea of churning out regular article like articles about games that were like supposedly really thoughtful and well written that's too much work can't be bothered <laughs> We have too many podcasts. It was part, yeah. So we we did a few, um, and they like no one really read them. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and they were more for the idea of oh, someone's going to come to the site and they'll want like recommendations of games because um, we want it to be this approachable podcast for people who don't necessarily know a bunch about games and are plugged into the discourse. And I think that the idea was good, but those people aren't look. They're not like clicking through our website going where are the good games. Yeah, <laughs> so no, it was kind of and- for no one. 
And also, like, you and me doing this in our spare time cannot be the resource for, like, getting people into good games, right? Like, we're not we're not those gatekeepers. We couldn't be if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because a lot of this, like, the podcast comes out of our frustrations with the modes of talking about games that most mainstream podcasts and websites operate on, just, like, in their topical churnings of, here's the game of the week that we're going to talk about and completely forget. Uh, and so this was kind of another bit of those, of, like, a response to things we wanted to do differently, but we don't have the space or time to actually fucking be an article-writing site about the good games. That was a stupid idea. We never would could be able to do that. <laughs> you know, writing is, uh, it takes a lot of time and effort, and I feel like the reward is not nearly as much as a podcast like podcasts require more labor because we have to write record them we have to edit them we have to think about them whatever but we get to hang out with our friends while we do it and writing is a lonely shitty thing to do so that's why we now charge for the writing and continue to do podcasts all over ourselves for free yes uh and it definitely helped us that way also you'll notice that in the patreon letters that we do at the moment uh they're not all about video games in fact very few of them are about video games as are very few of our podcasts. <laughs> well, I guess that's true. I guess you're right. Except for this one, which is all about video games. All video games, all the, the thing, time. The thing is, when we first started the podcast, whatever, 2013, right? Yes, way back in the 2013. Uh, I thought that the world needed this sort of resource. When we decided to write these great games pieces in 2015, I thought the world needed this resource. It's 2017. The world still needs good articles about (laughs) games that have already come out that people can just go and enjoy. And it doesn't really exist. Like the closest thing is maybe the stuff that like uh, PC gamer, not PC gamer, uh, rock, paper, shotgun does every once in a while uh, about revisiting old games. Uh, But that's kind of it. Like the, how have you, have you played? I don't even know if they still do that because I don't read RPS that much. Um, I mean, I read that, like, Hardcore Gaming 101, like, 200 best games book. Yep, there's that. Hardcore Gaming 101 does a lot of good stuff. It Like, theirs can be kind of hit or miss, and I feel like they're a little... Like, they're writing to an audience that already knows a lot about video games. Um, and I don't think they write with the experience of... Uh, you know, an actual good other resource of this is Jack DeKeat's free game stuff that he writes yes. for Waypoint. Yes. Because those games you can just go play anyway, because they're all free games. And uh, Jack writes about like the experiential nature of games better than almost anyone I've ever read. <laughs> He's really good. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he puts all of us to shame. Yes. Uh, and so uh, while I am sad that we didn't do this, and I understand why we didn't do this, and it's fine, um, I still think if someone had the resources, they should go and do this. I guess you could kind of point to Waypoint's whole Guide to Games video series also as like kind of this. It's way shorter than what we had it planned. It's um, shorter and it's more about like videos you can share and less of a... It's not like a huge, oh, I'm going to go to this page with a gallery where you can go through and see what the games are. It's more about, oh, this is going to be a thing that will share for this day and hopefully get a couple of people talking about this thing. But the intent is pretty similar. Yeah. Jackson, two years later, how do you feel about Paper Mario? It's great. Do you do you agree with your complaints about it that you had in 2015? It's, too, it's it's way too hard, and you don't do anything but press A for like five hours. Oh, so uh, RPG? No, 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 no. I have not finished, but I played like the first like two hours of Final Fantasy V recently, and that game is great from the off. And you feel like you have like influence over what you're doing, over like how your character is. You can switch jobs within like the first 45 minutes. It's great. Paper but Mario, you, you, you don't... also played Final Fantasy nines and thirteens. 
Yes, and I get that we had come to that age by this point. 2001, RPGs had begun to die. That's not true, but it is also true. Um, and the era of, like, especially for this Nintendo game, like, it's deliberately very hand-holding, and I talk about this. And, yeah, I still think it is a game that, in its attempt to handhold completely makes the first few hours intolerable even for a basic player because you're not like learning very much you're just prevented from doing things but as it opens up and when we get to penguin murder mystery it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me I'm yeah I'm, a, I'm amazed that 2015 me did not talk about how much i eternally have a crush on bowser <laughs> bowser thirst yeah did not little... mentioned once yeah, no, I mentioned that he is like a loser dad that is hilarious, but uh, I did not mention that that also means that I think he's adorable and uh, great. This is our second Bowser-focused episode in a row. Yeah, no, we, did, we didn't plan it that way, but if Bowser could be my boyfriend, I would be very happy. Yeah. We really should play Thousand Year Door sometime. When we finish this goddamn eternal Final Fantasy Death March, maybe then. Yep, then we'll play through every Mario RPG. No. No, we will not do that because I'm never playing Partners in Time again. You could hold me at gunpoint and I think I'd let you shoot me in the leg or <laughs> something instead of play that game. Like, just a gun right to you and be like, no, just do it. I'm not playing it. You feel yeah. at peace. Yeah. Good. Uh, yeah, we'll play it soon. Probably talk about it because we don't play very many games. Or at least I don't play very many games we don't talk about. Too busy. Too busy. Yeah, right now, you know, it's kind of a lull time for both of us. We have a lot of podcasts and stuff going on. You can come back in two and a half weeks and enjoy our Max Payne episode. Uh, that is coming out not on the last Friday of the month as usual, but on the very last day of the month. Uh, we had to move schedules because of uh, some real life stuff going on. But look forward to that. We're going to be playing Max Payne. We're going to be watching the Max Payne film. It will be a lot of slow motion jumping and guns and street drugs and bullshit. It's going to be a good time. Jackson, where can people find us on Patreon, support us, all that stuff? Uh, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash abnormal mapping. Uh, we have just launched... Uh, a new goal for $200 if you want to support us to get us to activate the Great Gundam Project where we will once a week podcast about episodes of Gundam until we watch all of them and to make us actually watch those shows. Yeah. Uh, it'll be good. It'll be a premium podcast for anyone who donates uh, $1 a month uh, or more, but you just need to donate $1 and you can get it. We wanted it to encourage people to donate like regularly for small amounts we hope that we we think it's worth it all the other podcasts are going to stay free we think it's a good we think it's good yeah uh where are you on the internet i'm at headfuls off on twitter i didn't say that you're right yes i am at em underscore being uh thank you for making this episode possible there will be more meta mappings in the future we will do something that's not nintendo next time i promise please enjoy this goofy episode coming at you you can check out my new series map making on the abnormal mapping youtube channel uh, I'm going to cut this out. I almost said I don't phone <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So that would have been great. Where's your, where's your brain today?
Hello and welcome to Abnormal Mapping. This is episode 35, We Can Run for President. I'm your host, Matthew Marco. With me is co-host Jackson Tyler, who tries in vain to talk over me. Jackson, why don't you tell me how you're doing? Never mind, I'll just talk over you instead. No, actually, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. What do you want? What do you want from me? D's nuts. <laughs> Abnormal mapping is going to run against D's nuts. <laughs> Topical jokes from Matthew Marco. Look, the podcast doesn't really aim for topicality, but every once in a while it's nice to throw in a reminder that we live in very stupid times. Deez also with nuts. us is third chair, Destiny Sturdivant. Hello. How is everybody doing? Destiny, how do you feel about D's nuts? I feel pretty confident about D's nuts. Okay. I can't. Uh, I can't. Are, would you be willing to vote for D's nuts? Or? No, because I would never vote Republican. D's nuts is independent. Oh, really? Um... <laughs> Well, <laughs> I would never vote Republican. Okay. What is happening to this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> We're just talking about voting trends. Aren't you keeping up? No, you you don't live in this country. What do you care? We have an act, like just as real insane things. Uh, eh, sorry. The things going on in this country are just as insane as D's nuts, but not a joke. So Well, so the only reason that these nuts is funny is because Donald Trump is actually running for president, and that's not funny because it's too scary. Yep. We, ha- we have a fake... Oh, I can't talk about British politics right now, but... It's too depressing. It's too depressing. I mean, American po- politics are depressing, but British pro- politics? Ugh. When does the guy in the fi- Guy Fox mask show up and start throwing sighs at people? I mean, let me tell you something about Jeremy Corbyn. Is that the guy's name in V? No. That's change we can believe in. Change oh, okay. <laughs> edition. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what's going on. So how's there? We have not podcasted in seemingly a thousand years. Constituents. It's only been a month, right? It's been six weeks since you looked That's- at me. Okay, so we did. Oh, we did the last episode, which was the ADAF panel postmortem. Which was a short episode, so I kind of don't count it. But we haven't done a game club in six weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah, because we recorded her story very early, and we were on the ball. And everyone dispersed to go play video games. How did going and playing the video games go? Uh, Destiny, we'll go with you first, because <laughs> I know this answer. I'm not going to let you make me feel bad about it. I didn't finish the game, but I got... Far enough, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. No, 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 we're talking about other games you might have played in the intervening six weeks. Oh, okay. I played, oh gosh, Flipjack Studios' new time management restaurant game, Papa's Cheeseria. Uh, what, what, okay, so I, I know what you would serve at a cheeseria, but how much variety can there be at a cheeseria? Also, why is that not a real place I can go to? Oh, you know what? Actually, I didn't play the cheese grilled cheese one. I ended up playing the donut one. I played Donutaria. Sorry. Mm. But the cheesecake, or excuse me, the cheese sandwiches one, I'll play that next time. But yeah, the donut one, you can put marshmallows on your donut, and I thought that was gag-worthy. Um, no. I would I would try that. Like, I, did, I probably wouldn't like it, but I'd try that. Like a chocolate donut filled with strawberry. Look, a, a chocolate donut's already making mistakes. <laughs> yeah, that's you true. know, I, I, I tend to agree. Like, I like a chocolate donut. I mean, I haven't had a donut since I've gone vegan, really. But a chocolate donut is an, a, some, it's a sometimes food, but a glazed donut is forever. So there's only two acceptable types of donuts. 
There's the kind that got fruit on them, like a bear claw or something. And then there's Bavarian cream donuts. And everything else sucks and is not worth your time. No, you're right. Um, I want to tell you more. This whole thing is like a series of games where you just work under this guy named Papa, who's a chef, and you run these restaurants. And... So t- tell me about these. Tell me about these games. What's the deal with them? How did you like discover the Cheeseria series of awesome iPhone? <laughs> is Papa related to Cooking Mama? I don't. I've never played Cooking Mama, so I can't speak to that. Cooking Mama, management Papa. But <laughs> <laughs> um, like the the Flipjack company, they made Papa's Pizzeria, I think, first. Yeah, Pizzeria was first. And what you do is you make pizzas, and people wait in line while you're making them, and you have to you get judged on how fast you make the pizza, how well cooked it is, how neat it looks, and whether or not you could put the right toppings. So essentially, that format is carried on into burgers, <laughs> um, pancakes, uh, tacos, hot dogs, uh, grilled cheese, and donuts, and what have you. I think I named them all. I probably left out. Oh, oh, chicken wings. And and this is just a thing that I, I found them through congregate.com because I love restaurant time management sims in the vein of like... A diner dash or a, um, I don't know. What's another classic game like that? I don't know. I know I played the McDonald's game without realizing it was, it was a joke when Tapper. I was younger. Tapper, yeah. Uh, it's kind of like that, but it's definitely more complex. Oh, sure. But Tapper is like the uh, progenitor of all these kinds of games. Let me make sure I'm getting the name of the company right. Flipline. Flipline. Did I call them Flipjack? I yes. think you called them Whoops. Flipjack. Okay, I was thinking about Flapjacks, because that's one of the things that you made. <laughs> You don't know Flipjack. <laughs> it's one of the, the uh, you know, the, there's a pancakeria. Oh, and then there's like a an ice cream one called Freezeria, where you make these crazy, like, frozen, almost like blizzards. It's really yeah. great. But yeah, um, I really like these games. You know, you know what the grossest thing you can put in Blizzard is? What? Snickers. Um. Yeah, I love Snickers. When I wasn't as as someone who used to make them, the actual Snickers just come in like a tub, and it is like cement to chisel out the Snickers to put into people's food. Pretty gross. Yeah, I was gonna no. say Snickers that, is a gross candy. Um, I my preferred Blizzard flavor was always uh, cookie dough or something with chocolate covered nuts of some kind. These nuts. Mine was, was Hawaiian, and they've discontinued the Hawaiian, which is, I'm never going to Dairy Queen again. That's because nobody likes pineapple and things. Fuck off. It's amazing. I'm gonna have if to side with so. Destiny on this one. Oh. Pineapple in ice cream is so good. Tell me more about the pizzeria. Oh, well, I just was gonna say that the cool thing about these games is that they introduce different characters that you get to know over the series of games. <laughs> yeah. And, like, they all have the same essential, like, outline, but they all have diverse features. And they introduced in right around, I want to say, Taco Ria, or excuse me, Taco Mia, where you could, like, customize your own little worker. And they had all these diverse hairstyles and skin tones. And eh, no, I, I thought it was pretty impressive. So, like, it's just a racially diverse, um, cool thing. I don't know. 
Richly diverse kitchen three. <laughs> I would actually play yeah, only if that's like an Otome game. Though. <laughs> I just want a hot, racially diverse cast of dishwashers to hit on. That sounds pretty great, actually. <laughs> I, I would, I would play racially diverse kitchen three. It, it couldn't be a like a joke though. I, no, I wouldn't no, of play the um, outside of the title. Well, no, I mean, like, I wouldn't play the, uh, what's the, the pigeon one? Had to have a boyfriend version. It would have to be genuine. They couldn't be doing yeah. this as a joke. How to have a boyfriend isn't really a joke. It's calm. We'll talk about that someday. Yeah, one day we will. Jackson, yeah, hey, what did you do things. with the last six weeks? Ruined my life. <laughs> Why don't you tell people how you ruined your life? With Metal Gear. Well, I think we kind of covered that on other podcasts. I had we? I had started this train. There is, yeah. But... As uh, a famous video game character once said, ain't no getting off this train we're on. Yeah, but you're at the end of the line. I'm not. I am? I am? I'm not. Hmm. Hmm. You're standing on the edge. <laughs> that I am doing. Uh, so I've, I've, I've played all the Metal Gear games, one to four, and I've written about most of them. And I'm like right on the end of my writing about four, and I don't know if I'm going to do it. I don't know if I'm going to move on. I think I'm just moving on and done. I don't know. We'll see. But I've said that a million times before. Uh, but I, I just want to be free of this nonsense project hell that I made for myself. But I, I, there's a lot of Metal Gear writing that you'll get to read from me. In what form it'll show up, I have no idea. But one day. Someday it'll be good and I'll be able to read it, right? right? Uh, you'll definitely be able to read it and it's pretty good. There's a lot of good stuff okay. in there. That's good. That's exciting. Yeah. I'm glad that you spent your six weeks well. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I also completely cleared out my room uh and with uh, one of the side effects of which meant that the tv my family had got has to live in my room for a while which means i can now play video games again Woohoo. so video games yeah i got a hd television and i'm like acting like it's the future of all life like i i walked into 2005 and was like look i got a television look how beautiful it is look at the colors uh, nothing wrong um, with that yeah, I know it's pretty great. I want to let me tell you about HD TV. It's good. You should you should get one. I've got one. Oh uh, well, um, tell all your friends. All my friends have one. It's 2015, <laughs> Jackson. <laughs> I got one for the first time, and I'm like, oh, this does look really good. <laughs> and uh, anyway, that's I can. The thing I'm most excited about is that I can now play PS2 games. Hooray! That that is exactly the wrong choice you should be making. But okay. But it, I had a monitor to play other things in. Mm, that's I, true. I couldn't. I had nowhere to plug in a PS2 before, but now I that's, do. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. And I, I've played other stuff like I don't know, Call of Duty. Uh, you wrote about that. That doesn't count. Yep, I played Journey. Journey's great. Yeah, you wrote about that. That doesn't count. I did that too. Oh, everybody's gone to the Rapture. We both played that. Oh yeah. So I played like thirty games in the past six weeks. You so. went ridiculously <laughs> off the charts with it. You know, I got in the mood to play some video games. The doldrums of summer is a time to relive your childhood, which means cramming all the video games into your brain. Don't say the doldrums of summer. Like, you, like, keep up with present releases. <laughs> uh, No, it's just, like, it's been hot for too long, and I just feel sad. I'm not talking about video game doldrums. Oh, I, I I'm only... talking about mm-hmm. the doldrums of the soul. <laughs> the actual legit doldrums. No, whenever yeah. I hear that phrase, I assume someone's going, no video games come out in the summer. Oh, what are we playing? Oh, no, the, like, my Steam library has expanded by, like, a dozen games. Not, 
my wish list, not my actual library. My library shrunk quite a bit because I'm trying to get games out of there. But mm-hmm. we played. Yeah, we played. Everyone's going to the Rapture. We shouldn't talk about that here. Okay. I mean, what can we say? That the people should play it. Everyone's wrong about it. <laughs> I could once again yell at a certain writer who wrote another inflammatory piece of garbage about video games that I like. But I'm not. I'm not going to cast aspersions on people I don't know. You already did. So. Yeah. Well. Look. <laughs> we should. We should genuinely cut that. No. No. Let's move on to segment two. Okay. All right. <laughs> So for segment two, uh, we're announcing the start of an ongoing series that we've been talking about for how long, Jackson? Like a year, probably? Uh, three months. I think we've been planning to do something like this for a lot <laughs> longer than that. Way to like support, yeah, way to yes and, Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't been a year. I know for a fact it hasn't been a year. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. I think that you're uh, under-exaggerating to make me look bad. That wasn't my intent. Uh, I genuinely think it hasn't been that long. Maybe I'm misremembering. I could be wrong just as equally as anyone else. Three months ago, you started your Metal Gear track. I hate life. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, this is totally derailed me (laughs) introducing the thing we were going to do. So, we... I don't really write about games anymore. Uh, Even though I always say I'm going to. Um... For reasons that maybe, like, you can check out my new series, Map Making, on the Abnormal Mapping YouTube channel. So, back on track, what we were actually talking about. We, uh, I don't really write that much about games anymore, and Jackson, you have the propensity to turn every game into, like, a 10,000 word project. One game! I did this with, well, a series of games. (laughs) Yeah. You've written really long things that you found overly tiresome and how long they've blown up to be before. Don't pretend that this is isolated to Metal Gear. Uh, I haven't really done that since the actual Sunlight one. I remember you saying that your Final Fantasy XIII one got away from you also. Oh, uh, that's true. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay, good point. All right, this this has happened before and will happen forever. All right, maybe you're a... Yeah, anyway... So, what we, uh, what, uh, I, one of us suggested, I don't know how this happened actually, was that we do a series of ongoing posts that we all write that go up as, uh, I jokingly referred to it as basically stealing Roger Ebert's great movies, uh, article series. And then we kicked around for about three months what we could cleverly title it and, uh, eventually just settled on calling it Great Games instead because originality is cute, but being concise is better. Yep. No, what, cause how this came about was, uh, we were chat- talking like, what are we gonna do? What, what are we gonna do as we like make the pages on the site better? And one of the things that I wanted to do was have like a list or, or both of us wanted to do was like have a page that was like an abnormal mapping canon of sorts. We didn't want to call it that cause that's dumb and prescriptive, but just here's things we think are valuable or cool or you should check out because we like 
to like pr- construct the site in a way that people who don't know games can totally approach uh, mm-hmm. and explain why the stuff we think is cool is cool and what's valuable about it and this was one of the ideas we had for that uh and yeah we thought in the end why not just admit we're just doing this than try to couch it in anything else yeah, uh, one of the things I always liked about uh, Ebert's great movies writing is that it's meant to be worthwhile both as like an introduction as a way to sell someone on a movie or a piece that reflects on a movie that you know and might give you greater insight or something to think about or remind you of why you liked it. Uh, it is both an argument and an introduction and talks about movies outside of the context of here's the hot new release or here's like the rare gem. It just kind of levels the playing field across all things. Yep. Uh, and games could really use that kind of discourse. I feel like, mm-hmm. uh, and so we, the way we wanted to launch it, uh, it, they'll be up as the time of this recording is all three of us write a piece on a game, um, and be, be like the first class of them. And then we'll add them as we feel like it. Um, Jackson, what game did you pick to start off with? I picked Lydia Neon's Player 2, which is a twine game uh, featuring two players in which the other player is in your head and you like write about an incident in your life or something that you're insecure about or dealing with and it essentially walks through that trauma. Uh, I remember when I first played it, it was... like I, didn't, I wouldn't expect this kind of thing to like affect me because I get really cynical with like uh, these impersonal ways of trying to help people but the thing that makes player two really uh interesting and excellent to me is that it's not impersonal despite being just text on a gray screen it's very much the construct of a human being's worldview and how that worldview interacts with your own trauma like uh I don't think of this game as a two-player game. It's a three-player game. It's something that someone that Lydia Neal has made in order to tell you that they believe you are valuable, whoever you are. And that feels earnest and genuine in a way that, uh, say, like a app on a mental health website that you like tells you, hey, be positive, would really repel me. This uh, pulls me in way better because it, like understands and gives space to the individual who is interacting with it in such a much more intimate and understanding way. As a uh, listener of the Goof Zone, your uh, mental health podcast, Destiny, I want to point out that you're advocating for self-help just now. So good job. I know. (laughs) No, I know. That's why I said it's like strange for me to be into this because I'm normally so in my own shell. But no, I really like it. I'm not beyond self-help sometimes. Okay. Uh, Destiny, what is the game that you chose? I chose The Binding of Isaac. The Binding of Isaac or The Binding of Isaac Rebirth? Oh, well, yeah. The Binding of Isaac Rebirth, I suppose. There, it, it, Probably a little bit of both, since you can't really talk about one without talking about the other. I, um enjoy them. <laughs> I feel like after everything Jackson said, I don't even know what to say. I like that they're about this really horrible thing, but they managed to, I don't know, turn it into like this slightly humorous, like eh, twistedly humorous thing. And also, I just, all the, the scope of what you build on with just like this 
little baby running around a basement and what the people behind that game managed to do with that is really awe-inspiring. Well, you play that, like, a lot. I hear you playing that on Skype calls all the time. And, like, the fact that it's a a, this really difficult and, uh, like, kind of repulsive thing made into this thing you engage with daily and just get better at and accept as a part of your life. Like, has that been kind of valuable? I guess so. Like, when I was unemployed, I put, like, 200 hours into that game. Because, Mm -hmm. like... The gameplay, I mean, it's pretty repetitive. You run around from room to room, and then you die. And then you run around from room to room, and you learn some stuff, and then you die. And so you keep building on what you've learned, and then you can lose it all really, really fast. And I, uh, it always felt rewarding, even if you died. Yeah. I know uh, some people think, like, the game's, like, excessively cruel. Uh and I think that's a fair interpretation of it, but I understand that there's like as Old Testament book game, like it's gonna have some of that. Yeah, I think the actual like subject matter of the game is way harsher than the actual gameplay itself. So like it's a weird, it's a weird uh, seesaw. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've always liked about Isaac is that it is so. Roguelikes, especially like the modern wave of roguelikes, has gone a long way to strip out the unfairness of the systems of like very traditional roguelikes, like actual like NetHack or Rogue itself. Um, but I, Binding of Isaac leans into the randomness and has much a high, much higher element where sometimes you just get fucked over by the system and there's nothing you can do if you're not good enough to overcome incredible odds. And it fits with that narrative of, oh, sometimes the hand of God is going to come down and squish you and it doesn't mean anything even though you try to attach cosmic import to it. Sometimes things are just shitty and the storyline, like the actual thematic material and the actual gameplay both line up with that kind of cynical but, uh, you know, it is a worldview for sure. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Uh, And then I wrote about uh, Etrian Odyssey Untold, the Millennial Girl. Millennium Girl. (laughs) Sorry. I'm a millennial girl. We're living in a millennial world and I'm a millennial girl. Oh, that's the greatest mouth typo you've ever made. Mouth Whatever. typo? <laughs> is that a what misspeak? we're calling them? Yeah, I know misspeak is the actual word, but I thought mouth typo. Malapropism, isn't that it? Malapropism? That, I think that would assume that like it's a saying. Like a uh, malaprism is like... You're something that everyone would know that you. It's almost like a spoonerism. Okay, got it. These are ships from Star Trek, right? <sighs> the spoonerism. Um, which uh, I, I think I might have talked about last podcast, honestly, about Etrian Odyssey. I don't remember. You hadn't. You really hadn't, because it was before then. Okay. Um, but I wrote about specifically one quest maybe like a quarter of the way through that game and what it represented to me as a representation of like RPG systems and how the systems reveal things about ourselves through how we view the experience of the characters going through a dungeon or quest or whatever a game throws at you. I like that game a lot. This will probably be the stand in for basically all Atronazi games. Uh, so I hope that it's good enough to stand with that, but because I don't really see the need to write about other Etronazi games also. But um, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I feel kind of self conscious about it because I wrote it two weeks ago. So now I'm like, yeah, it's probably bad because I haven't looked at it since. <laughs> it's not bad. It's good. It's a good post. Hashtag good posts. But uh, yeah, so that's a hilarious uh opening class because the they're very diverse. Um, the games that we have on the docket, and these will not come out in any set schedule. We're just going to write them as we feel compelled to do so, uh, are equally ridiculous and diverse. You're going to see some game club favorites on there. Uh, maybe games that we mention all the time, but wouldn't ever club. Guess which ones? <coughs> turn out, turn out. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, maybe some picks that you had not thought of before. Maybe. Games that maybe no one would advocate for in 2015 other than me. Well, everyone knows what that game is, Matt. No, they don't. <laughs> okay. Oh, you mean Beyond Two Souls? Yes. I'm thinking of Minesweeper. Oh. Oh, that's just a th- that's just a game that everyone loves and thinks is amazing, but doesn't think in the same category for some reason because it just was on PC start menus. Did you see that for the anniversary of Minesweeper, they made that yep. huge game mm-hmm. on hard mode? Yep. How many? I mines? mean, hard. Hard mode's the only way to play a Minesweeper. It's really impossible. I, I it is, love Minesweeper. It's not impossible, but very often the boards will generate in such a way where you have to guess where the final mine is, and that's always infuriating. Mm-hmm. I'm not uh, very good at real Minesweeper. I played a lot of Minesweeper Flags, which I loved a bit. What's the difference? Minesweeper Flags was a game on Windows Live Messenger, so it probably doesn't exist anymore, but it's just multiplayer Minesweeper, in which mm. like you... Just click. You get points for the squares you clear, I assume? Well, there's no right-clicking and left-clicking. You can just click. Uh, if you click on... No, you place flags and you can click, but you have to... Once you place a flag... I can't remember the exact rules, but anyway, if you click on a mine, you lose a point. And, mm. and if you put a flag on a mine, you win. And there's the way the t- turns work. I don't know. I played a lot of it, but I can't remember now. But it was great. <laughs> you know what happens when you click on a mine? You lose and you have to start over. Oh, I did not... Child Jackson did not like original Minesweeper because he was bad at it. He was like, "Oh, there's a pinball table." <laughs> the the version of Windows I grew up on did not have a pinball game in it. Back in my day, it was Hearts, Solitaire, and Minesweeper. Yep, and oh, I couldn't figure and, out either. Um, mm-hmm. The one with the king, where you have to get him out of the. I didn't have this. I don't know what free you're talking about. Free cell. Free, free cell. cell. Yeah. Free I didn't cell. have free cell. I don't know what free free cell sounds really familiar, but I don't know what this is. It was the just other a card, card game. game. Okay. Mahjong. It had mahjong also. Not even real mahjong. The mahjong that all Americans play that think is real mahjong. Oh, that off-brand mahjong. mahjong. Yeah, the one where you just match tiles. I thought it was mahjong. Whatever. I don't actually know. It's Mahjong. I know that I know that it's like a solitaire variant of Mahjong that has nothing to do with like the actual game that people play. Hmm. Lazy yeah. westernized Mahjong. So yeah, this is the new series. I hope people enjoy it. The first set of articles and the landing page well, maybe not the landing page. But the first set of articles will be up along with this podcast. Yes. And I hope people enjoy them. The landing page requires some introductory text, and I'm not going to be able to write it between now and Friday. So I might write it. I don't. Okay. Well, if you if you can write it, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I can do that. Okay. We'll have the landing page up too. Hooray! Hooray! It'll be across the top bar of the thing. Uh, me and Jackson have new bios up. Destiny is going to have a bio shortly, probably next it. week. I don't know how to talk about myself. Apparently, even though that's all I do forever. 
man, that's your professional job. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, the website is getting fixed. People want a good back-end fixing. Uh, Jackson in particular. Do we have the email address displayed on the website yet? Oh, shit. No. We should back-end have Back-end fixing is my favorite British porno. Mm. Oh, no. 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 <laughs> it's better than uh, crump it up your strumpet. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, that's too gross. <laughs> that is way too gross. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's too gross to even be funny, Matt. <laughs> uh, how about Fanny Packers? Oh, <laughs> that's got to be a real movie, right? <laughs> I thought Fanny Packs were more of a thing in America. Yeah, but, but like, like fanny as a word. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, but we don't use the term fanny pack because fanny is a thing. It's, I know it's a cross production there. <laughs> a U.S. British production, much much like um, some of our this favorite podcast. shows. Oh, and Rome. this podcast and this podcast. Yeah, BBC and this podcast, which is now over. What's well, not over? Derailed. Is now half over as we go on to our actual game club. Game club, hooray! Oh, these nuts. <laughs> Hi there, this is Matt. Hope you're enjoying the episode. We get into the Paper Mario shortly, but I want to tell you, I did a small art zine of drawings, uh, paintings, comics, sketches about Paper Mario that you can find by following the links at abnormalmapping.com, or you can go to my Twitter, or you can just go to Itchio and Gumroad and search Paper Mario Sketch Journal. Uh, it'll be up there. It's uh, pay what you want or get it for free. Uh, 25 pages. I hope you enjoy. Thanks so much for all your support. Uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. And uh, that's it. See ya. this month is paper mario uh japanese name is mario story which is a hilarious name to me for reasons i can't quite identify uh it just sounds funny um is in yeah what what is is that a common rpg name in japan because the no because it's not like mario densetsu which would be like legend of mario it's mario story like it is literally mario story i i know that's the name of like um the Digimon World series of RPGs. Oh, okay. So I didn't know in Japan. I, so I didn't know if that was just a, like a thing understood to denotate this is an RPG series. I don't think. So. I don't. You know, I'd never come across it before. But I didn't. I don't care about Digimon. So no, no. That's yeah. That's me. I don't, anyway, we don't uh, know. So Paper Mario is the unofficial sequel to uh, Super Mario RPG: Legend of the Seven Stars, which was a Square Enix Nintendo. No. Square. Not Square Enix, Square Soft, Nintendo, uh, 
you know, I don't know the word out. Collaboration. That's what I wanted for the Super Nintendo. This came out at the uh, butt end of the Nintendo 64. It came out in America in February of 2001 and Europe October 2001. Jackson, you were like an actual human being with thoughts by then. I was in Enfield going to see Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. You were like 10? I actually don't know what year you were born. <laughs> I, 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 I was 8. I was 8 oh, in October 2001. Great. My or I was, was 10. I was or I was 7. School. Might have been 7. Seven. It's either 7, 8, or 8, 9. I don't know. I was probably reading Lord of the Rings at the time this game came out in in Europe. I mean, th- that would be the year. Yep. What was I reading? I was probably reading On the Road for the 20th Time or something crappy like that. You On the road again. You were the most hipster high schooler in, that has ever lived. I love that <laughs> book. It's so bad. Like the Power Glove bad or like actually bad? No, like actually bad. Okay. So Paper Mario uh, is the first of a long, now long-running series designed by Intelligent Systems. Uh, Nintendo took it in-house. Uh, they picked up one of the Square Enix designers of the original game, uh, but decided to make a game that was ostensibly supposed to be built around being someone's first RPG experience. Uh, and uh, came out to great acclaim, though I don't think it sold particularly well because it came out in 2001 for the Nintendo 64. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we all played this on Virtual Console, which you can pick it up for like $10 or something. It's no big deal. The Hot V Cons. If you have a Wii U, <laughs> and you probably should because they're cool, you can play it in bed, which is the way that all of us played it, I feel I, like. I can't it imagine. the most comfortable way. Yeah. So the plot of this is that uh, Bowser wants to kidnap Princess Peach and Mario and her are hanging out and he shows up and Mario's like, well, let's fight about it. And now Bowser has this star wand, which might as well be okay. from Kirby. I just want to say it's, hila- it's hilarious that you're summarizing the plot of. So the plot of this game is without acknowledging. <laughs> no, 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 that's the point. I'm, getting, I'm coming around. Oh, okay. you know, <laughs> good. Bit. Uh, it was the star rod. And yeah, Bowser has the star rod, which is uh, also <laughs> yeah. my favorite porn. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite science fiction erotica. Uh, and steals away with Princess Peach's castle, which conveniently was built on top of Bowser's castle. I feel like someone should have noticed. Uh, and Mario is left trying to gather the star sprites from across the land. Star spirits. I keep wanting to say star sprites, but it's star spirits. Because you're thirsty. Because um, <laughs> the game is 2D, is why I say I say star sprites. I think. And you're thirsty for that I lemon have a beer lime. Right here. I'm not thirsty. I'm fine. Oh, Sprite. I don't. Look, if you're thirsty, you shouldn't be drinking soda. Also, I don't like Sprite that Sprite much. Sprite is not good anymore. It's too sweet. I, I don't like it. Anyway, I had the wind Mario's thing. gotta go and gather the star spirits, and that involves going through RPG battles. Uh, much like Super Mario RPG and all subsequent Mario RPG games, the major mechanic of these games is that your battles require timing to execute moves and defend against enemy attacks. Uh, that's pretty much a good setup. Who wants to take over from me? Because I actually am thirsty. I'm going to take a drink. I think <laughs> it's funny that you said that about Sprite, but then you're drinking the only thing that actually dehydrates you, beer. Um, So, not to put you on blast, drink what you want, enjoy your life. Um... So, my favorite thing about this game is, uh, you talked about the timing, uh, with the executing the moves, and 
even though this is an RPG that for some reason has this weird construct of everything is paper, um, <laughs> it still feels like an essentially Mario Mario game. Like there's little secrets to beating enemies. There's um, tunnels to go down. You're still jumping to get things. You're still kind of using your finesse to do certain actions and also you're saving a princess you can't get more Mario than that a bit of context uh, we'll link to it but the Iwata asks for uh, Paper Mario Sticker Star to the 3DS game has a little bit about the history of Mario RPGs and originally when Square wanted to design a Mario game they came to them with a picture of Mario on a horse with a sword and a cape what? And, and Miyamoto was like, how about we give him a hammer instead? <laughs> and he doesn't ride a horse. Uh, and so, like, Miyamoto is really adamant that Mario's, like, RPG attacks correspond with things that Mario's been known to do, which is wield hammers and jump on things. Thank you. Oh, uh, he saved it. Maybe, maybe throw a fire flower every once in a while. Oh, I'd uh, love to live in a terrible world in which the Mario RPG was like, here's a Mario literally in an RPG. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I can't believe that. But uh also, they wanted to make sure, like, part of the, uh, the uh, discussion of building this up is that the mechanics came out of, like, Mario is an action game that's about, like, using your timing to get over jumps and jump on enemies. And how does that stuff translate into an RPG system, which normally is very passive? It's selecting options off of menus exclusively. Um, one last bit of background about the art style. Um, part of the reason for this art style was... There was a lot of discussion of how do you redefine 3D Mario after Super Mario 64 was such a huge deal. Like, maybe the biggest deal of games, like, in, like, on that platform or in platforms of that generation. Uh, and they were like, well, what if we, one of them designers prototyped, like, what if we just abandoned the idea of, like, 3D Mario and went with flat shapes in a 3D world to give it, like, to not make people expect that it's going to play like Mario 64, that it's something else and something different. Oh, okay. So that's why everything that's cool. is flat. Yep. And it, like, I don't know if this is, uh, actually like part of the inspiration, but Yoshi's story for 64 had already come out, which was a, like, very crayon drawing, like, low key 2D Yoshi game. The game is gorgeous. That, uh, yeah, that also, like, Nintendo was experimenting with making their system, which was not built to do 2D games, have 2D sprites all up in them by the end of it, which I think is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yoshi's Story was probably the Nintendo 64 game I played the most when I, like, in my heyday of having one. Just just throwing that out there. Chill game. That is the chillest of games. It's so good. (laughs) Yeah, like you said, the, the mechanics, like, lining up and all of that. Oh, so. Magnifique. Also, um, the humor. This is one of the funniest games I've ever played. And I know that that's something that, like, keeps up in the later games, if I'm not mistaken. Matt would know. Yeah, uh, I haven't played, uh, Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, but Super Paper Mario is jokey. And then I'm actually more of a fan of the Mario and Luigi games, but they're also, uh, Intelligent Systems also works on them. And, like, this is, to me, the beginning of, like, the Treehouse era of Nintendo localization, where they just write really self-aware versions of, like, the Nintendo characters when given the chance. It's uh, really great. I can't get it, enough of it. 
to me, this is like part of the postmodern Nintendo that does Nintendo Directs with like Muppet versions of their executives. Like it's all here, <laughs> that kind of Nintendo. And that that's the thing that struck out to me most when I started playing this game was <clears throat> far more than like Super Mario 64 or maybe any Mario game before it that I've played uh, or it is like a game about what Mario is. It yeah. is a consideration of, okay, like we have to have a story now, but what is what is the story of Mario? What is uh, the narrative and like themes of Mario when put into a gameplay format or uh, a narrative format that people have to understand and have like bits of world building and everything? And what it, can we extrapolate into what that means? And some of the extrapolation is just adding extra stuff in. Some of the extrapolation is uh, taking bits from other games and making them like literal uh, and just pointing out ridiculous things that just emerge through the way those games are created. Like, playing this game, I got a sense of what the, where the idea of a Mario law being more than just this made-up wiki thing could even be. Yeah, the world is really expansive. Yeah. And you get a sense of how it functions, you get a sense of the, like, way all the groups relate to each other, you get a sense of, like, place everywhere you go, and I think it's just incredibly good at world building and also just deconstructing what Mario is. Well, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's worth talking about the dynamic of the triptych of Mario, Peach, and Bowser, and how they're expressed through this game. Yep. Because Mario, and this was true in... uh Super Mario RPG also is like classic JRPG silent protagonist, but in a world where everyone else just delivers incredible reams of like text anytime <laughs> yep. you talk to them. And they all have their own unique voice and vocal tics. And yeah. Even though they're not, you know, you're just reading it, but you can, you but, can hear them in your head perfectly. But the way that that cast Mario is like, like the game is aware that he's not talking. And so everyone just kind of like waits for a reaction and Mario just kind of gesticulates his emotions and everyone kind of reads into it what they will. Like Mario is hilariously comedic in how quiet he is. Oh, and it seems very intentional. It's super good. Well, mean, meanwhile, Bowser gets, becomes the Bowser that I love. Oh, I love him so much. Bumbling dad Bowser <laughs> in charge of minions who are equally as incompetent as him, but like more put out about it. Oh no, I missed the quiz show. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then a peach who, like, is clearly exasperated by constantly being shoved in this damsel role and just manages to kind of take matters into her own hands, even, like, though it's outside the framework of anything else going on. Like, mm-hmm. I love Peach just, I'm just gonna go and take care of stuff while I'm being captive. Well, and nobody really bats an eye about it. What's great is, I don't know if this was, was this, like, the first game that wasn't in a, um... When 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 else do you play Peach in this era of Nintendo? Like the Mario so, Party games? So Peach was playable in like uh uh Super Mario Kart was the first time she was okay, playable. So... But Peach and Bowser are party members in Super Mario RPG. Wait, okay. no, Peach is play Peach is playable for the first time in Mario 2. Sure. Oh, okay, but right. I okay, good point. Yeah, cuz I was like I know there's something earlier than that. Okay. But like giving her this sort of like her own section of the game to just be like her own character and do the things she's good at and help Mario without like she's she's you know the damsel but she doesn't really she's not a victim in the sense of like what's her name Pauline in Donkey Kong mm-hmm. where she's going help help 
you know that's her name uh, right pauline yeah but yeah. like also because she is like a, a character with a voice like she talks as much as anybody else uh and she's very pragmatic about her situation. She actually comes off in the game as more of like the protagonist that like you identify with than Mario. Right. Cause like Mario's just a blank slate to bounce off of. She's not as, um, distant as Mario. Yeah. Definitely. Well, so I always looked forward to her sections. Cause at the end of each chapter, you just play as, or the, is it the beginning of each chapter? You it's play the beginning as Peach. of each chapter. Yeah. yeah. You just play as Peach being this captive dealing with these idiots. And, uh, spoilers, but, the way the game wraps up, what it does for like the Mario and Peach dynamic, it paints Mario as like just a vessel for other people's like hopes and says like, yeah, he's like a stereotypical hero figure, but that means he really only exists in relations to other people, uh, and what they need from them, which is also true of Peach in this game. Like, neither of those two characters in this game, the world they create, really exist without other people, and that's weird and cool. Like, Mario can't exist without uh, all the people believing in him and, like, giving him meaning because he's completely silent and nothing else. Whereas Peach's only power in battle is to, like, give help to other people and imbue them with power. I mean, I I wouldn't read too much into that, personally. I I didn't read... I think think your Mario take is spot on. And, like, it's kind of the way that Mario's been cast ever since. Uh, I think there's lots in this game of, like, Peach does a lot for herself and is really, um, like, uh, proactive. But in her role as princess, she's, like, there to fulfill this thing in other people. Like, she has to be there for people. Her entire role is helping out Mario and ensuring, like, things can go back to how they are. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I think there is, like, Peach's lack of agency in a wider way than just being damseled is explored in this game a little bit in the well, like jokey. Yeah, stuff. like I always thought it was super important that every single chapter that starts with, or, or they all start with Peach, but like the first thing she does is escapes her room mm-hmm. and she's looking for a way out. Like she doesn't really, like she knows, oh, Mario will probably get here, but in the meantime, I'm gonna look on my own. She doesn't just wait. You know, and that's super important. Mm-hmm. And I mm. imagine, like, it's, like, almost implied that she's been waiting in the previous game, or not waiting in the previous game, she's actually been, like, calculating and uh, establishing some sort of plan. Like, she's not just sitting there like, where's Mario? <laughs> Well, one of the things that I've always liked about the Mario lore, uh, such as it is, and this game has it in spades, is the idea that because this story is like this thing that keeps happening, the main characters kind of all have a rapport with both themselves and all the characters of the world. Mm-hmm. Like, Goombas and Koopa Troopas pay as much deference to Peach as they do Bowser, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, hey, she's around, she's the princess when Bowser's not, like, making, like, some land grab or, like, gesture of war. Uh, all, like, all the enemies, quote unquote, know Mario, and when he's not being outright hostile to them, most of them are kind of just chill about it. Yeah, like, the, this game implies, like, the existence of a Saturday morning cartoon or whatever, where just Mushroom Kingdom is a place where things happen. 
Uh, I like I, I don't mean it implies that's a real thing, but like you get the sense of this is a world that exists without the conflict that is the focus of every single one of these games. Uh, mm. But also that the conflict is eternally repeating, and so every single person in this world understands it. Like when Mario talks to Bowser, this is not people who are doing this for the first time. Like Mario, Bowser, and Peach all know each other and have done this before, and they never like say that in the game. But it is so clear from the way they write every line. I mean, like, from the beginning when, like, you fight Bowser at the very first battle in the opening, like, the whole, the game treats it, and I think Bowser explicitly says, like, oh, this again, well, this time it's going to go differently, and that's when he pulls out the star rod. Oh, right, yeah, because this this time is a star rod, and this time, okay, yeah, it is the Saturday Monica tuning, and this time I've got this gimmick, this time Cobra Commander's gonna make a washing machine, I don't know, I didn't watch G.I. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> is that what that feels about? I never yeah, I I would have so. watched it if it had that in it. I was gonna say let's not uh, dis- uh let's not forget one vital character that stood on the st- sidelines while this is all going on, journaling and living in fear. Our dear brother Luigi. So this is <laughs> this is the game that establishes the Luigi that has existed ever since. <laughs> like this sort of my, eternal my new, my new my new metal band is our dear brother Luigi. <laughs> in, in Super Mario RPG, he's not mentioned at all outside of when you go you go to Star Road and like you find stars that are people's wishes and you just find a, one that's like I wish I was as cool as my big brother and that's it. But like the Luigi that's kind of like passive aggressive and cowardly and kind of resents being sidelined as oh he's the green one is the, <laughs> like born in this. And yeah, by, by the I time you get it. to Mario and Luigi, they're like oh it's Mario and a fucking like, other Bowser, guy. Bowser doesn't know Luigi's name. He's like <laughs> He's like you, a mustache. You. So oh sad. man, I love Ditter Luigi. Yeah, oh, I have a question. Mm-hmm. When did Luigi's Mansion come out? The first one. Was Luigi's Mansion was a GameCube launch title, so I think it came out. The, this, I think it came out at the same year. Because there's, yeah, there was a mention in Luigi's Journal about ghosts and how he didn't want to he was afraid of ghosts like when you're Mm -hmm. dealing with the whole booze mansion situation if you go back and read like uh while that's going on he says like oh i'm so afraid of ghosts i hope they don't come here or something like that Mm -hmm. yeah um i laughed the gamecube came out in 2001 i'm pretty sure so that would have been this the same year i didn't have a gamecube so i have like no timeline for that that's really funny oh this game Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm So yeah, you go on an adventure, you collect a bunch of uh, party members. Um, Systems-wise, I suppose we should talk about it. Uh, so, Jackson, you and me kind of had very different opinions about yes. the system of this game. Yes. Um, basically, as I said earlier, the whole attack and defense is based on pressing buttons as those attacks are happening to bolster them or bolster your defense. But also you have party members that... Uh, aid you they all have like specific moves and things that they can do uh which seems very uh final fantasy 10 to me but uh also the game is you have three stats the you pick which one goes up every time you level up it takes 100 experience points to hit each level all the numbers are really small like you start the game with 10 hit points uh and i i really appreciate that type of game because to me it feels very old school like it harkens back to dragon quest where you know, when your characters do like over 
when your characters do like 30 damage, it's a big deal. It's like, oh, that's a huge number. You would never do uh, 30 damage. Like when your characters do four damage, it's oh, I know. a big deal. I know. That, like the, the highest, like my characters are doing consistently six by the end of the game. And I thought that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The numbers are like the smallest they could possibly be. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it creates a system where like the, the idea of progress in an RPG is really obvious uh, to someone who like hasn't approached the genre before. And I think that's part of what I really like about this game. Like to me, it is like a really good beginner RPG in that it's not easy, but the system and the way you understand it is very approachable and doesn't require a lot of literacy to like parse. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, if you're doing two damage and suddenly you do three damage, that's a big deal. Yep. It is a it's huge like... deal. It was so exciting when I could finally do four for a jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and part of it is like, I played a lot of RPGs, so I found this game outside of the boss fights that I thought were ridiculously hard, especially in the back end, kind of easy. And Jackson, you thought this game started off really hard, so I'd like you to speak to that. Yeah, I thought the game started off hard specifically because whilst it is like, uh, clearly trying to be my first RPG, it also does that by locking you out of like mechanics and uh, like, control over your own sense of like being so for the first like one or two or three chapters really you are only doing as much damage as the game will like let you do you don't you can't really do a different build if things are going wrong the only thing you can do is try to land more of the uh like you press press the button at the right time to get the jumps right like so it relies on these the moments of specific execution far more than this sense of control over your character or like builds or anything that i would consider like uh central to an rpg and even central to the design of this game in later stages because i think it becomes far easier in later stages when uh your characters progress they have unlocked certain abilities you have a bunch of badges and if you're like losing then you can go okay what badges have i got which ones are um causing this problems which ones are causing this problems how should i switch this up and like you have ways to change your approach whereas on like uh the boss in it might have been the second boss i can't remember second or third boss um in the desert, I think it was. Uh, uh yeah. Tutan Cooper. Tutan Cooper, yeah. I, of course. Um, <laughs> I, um, uh, like, I, I died, and I, like, there was nothing more I could do except do the same thing, but just try to be more efficient about making everything work, try to be better about, uh, using items, and try to just be better at the boss. Whereas later bosses, I would be able to switch up my approach more if things were going I wonder wrong. if, so I don't really agree with you because I know that you didn't like get, seek out star piece and stuff. And like by that point, I had the one that raised my attack and defense by one. Like I had a lot of badges because I was going out of my way to like track them all down. You like, had twenty five badges by the time you got to Toot and Cooper. Yeah. Well, I don't. I had a lot of badges too because I like they're so useful and yeah, they make you a lot stronger. They give you a lot more abilities, or at least they strengthen your abilities so they they were good to have they they made the game i i won't admit that it like or excuse me i will admit that yeah i struggled with it in the beginning too but once you start building up sort of like badges and knowing what party members to level up like it got way easier and knowing when plus, what badges mm-hmm. to uh equip at certain times plus i think the world design uh, gets so much better in the later game um at the start, it's like some in, some moments of interest with like 
like little little bits of complexity. So the things it adds in like the first couple dungeons make it make made me feel like this should just be a straight line. The bits of spatial exploration aren't interesting enough. They just meet. Sometimes you go over here and there's busy work. Whereas by the time you got to the uh, second to last dungeon with the mirror floor, you're like, this is great. This is a legit huge puzzle. Uh, I understand this. There's like so much more going on. There's like stuff for me to engage with. It doesn't actually feel like just stretching out a dungeon which is what some of the early dungeons felt like and i know that's purely because like maybe that would be better if it was my first rpg and it was like walking me through that that design mm-hmm. lesson really slowly um but it definitely had a little bit of like final fantasy 13 ism not in the winner on that sense but i i agree in the way that it i agree in the way that it scripts your early battles to be very specific mm-hmm. uh but I, I think by chapter two, it kind of breaks away from that and becomes something more complex. And yeah, by chapter seven, they're like, Hey, here's a Zelda puzzle. Like, here, just here's like a multi-floor dungeon where you have to go in and out of backgrounds and manipulate mirrors and stuff I and use all of your party members. Yeah. It's really good. The best uh, dungeon in the game. Yeah. I, I agree a hundred percent. So with the system stuff covered, I kind of just wanted to talk about the things we liked the most about Paper Mario. Um, I'm going to go first because mine's earlier than the one I know Jackson is dying to talk about. I've always thought that Shy Guys are like the cutest Mario anime. I think they're adorable. I like their blank faces and their mystery and how they just kind of waddle around and are adorable all the time. And so the chapter, I think it's chapter five, maybe it's chapter four. It's probably chapter four. Um, adventure of going into the toy box where you just fight an army of Shy Guys and you just raise the hierarchy until... You have an actual shy guy like army that you're fighting all at once is one of my favorite bits of escalation in a game. The way that it ties like a bunch of desperate battles together into the narrative of going up this platoon of shy guys, I think is really fascinating. Also, general guy is cute. Cute as hell. I, um, I'll talk about mine first because Jackson's is more how, towards the end. How, c- oh. how could you talk about shy guy without talking about the most important shy guy? Oh, you mean gourmet guy? I mean gourmet guy. Oh, yes, gourmet guy! <laughs> he likes cake. <laughs> he loves it. Oh, the, like, triple zoom animation, and then just... Oh, so good. <laughs> it's the greatest thing. So yep, good. It's pretty good. No, I was, I was going to talk about bit? just going back to, like, the character voices and how everybody sounds unique. Like, you get that... Uh, what's his name colorado koopa following you around with his ridiculous flustered british explorer man tone yeah nigel thornberry yes nigel thornberry that was perfect and then you've got your um southern weird fuzzy thing that lives in a whale (laughs) who writes you a letter and uh you know thanks you for helping him out of the whale then you've got the like there's just so many funny funny voices in that game and weird little sassy like there's uh there's these uh non-playable characters in the middle of toad town that's like a teenage couple in love and right when uh <laughs> right when everybody's sort of reacting to peach getting kidnapped by browser they're like all i care about is you does that make me wicked and the boy says oh it's okay for we are both wicked in love or something ridiculous like that and they have like different things that they say that are updated throughout the game and oh it's, mm-hmm. it's so fun because like I know it's an RPG convention to like change the non-playable character uh speech when like situations in the games change, but like everything was always hilarious in this. Just mm-hmm. 
uh, to the T. And also, uh, my favorite, um, area was probably the Boo Mansion because you get to turn into a tiny Mario and also the Boos are hilarious. The Boo Mansion was great because it was, uh, a dungeon without any battles. So I loved it. Good point. It was just the cool environmental puzzle of, uh, Paper Mario, because I think Paper Mario does something which a lot of RPGs don't do, in that it has this really acute awareness of its space. Yeah, it, yeah. it really it handles that all super well, and also it's like I, I want like yeah, a lot of that stuff like is in Luigi's Mansion, like that sort of wandering around this house and trying to connect things to other things to get a result, and yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know, it was just it was all just really well done. So, Jackson, we're going to leave the crown jewel of Mario <laughs> idiocy to you, I guess. So, you, once you have got an all but one star spirit, you have to go down into the sewers, find a frozen sewer, and come up into the penguin town. I don't remember what it was Starborn called. Starborn Valley. Starborn Valley. Wait, no, I Oh, no, wait, no, 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 sorry. It's called... Shoot, I can't remember. Anyway... Penguin Town, <laughs> uh, and you, you are like, okay, I've got to go say hello to the mayor first. I need to say hello to the mayor. Uh, where's the mayor? Let's go find the mayor. Shiver City. Thank Shiver you. City. Something ridiculous. <laughs> uh, you go to Shiver City. Um, what? Uh, <laughs> anyway, where um, you go to find the mayor, and you walk in, you talk to the mayor's wife. The mayor's wife is like, oh hey, go right in. He's in the back. You go talk to him. Open the door. And the mayor is dead. He's just lying on the ground with He's X's lying in his there, eyes. dead. X on his eyes. This mayor is dead. And you go up to him, and then Mario sa- the, your party member says, this mayor is dead. And then... <laughs> <laughs> like, you check your and like, no, this is a dead mayor. And then his, his wife comes in, immediately points at you and goes, oh my god, you killed the mayor. Uh, at which point a detective comes in and lets you know that this is in fact a penguin murder mystery. And it's the greatest, <laughs> the greatest line of all time in the greatest moment of video games. Everything comes down to penguin murder mystery and it, it's, it's Fargo but Mario and it's amazing. It's the greatest thing. I love it so much. Oh my god. It's pretty great. It's also great that they changed the music in the game to like this like heavy, like a mystery is yep. happening kind of serious music. That yeah, music is called the- Detective Mario. <laughs> The, uh, the mayor, or the police, uh, chief is like, alright, we're gonna get to the bottom of this. If it's not you, you need to figure out who did it, cause I'm too busy to do police work. I gotta clean up this body. <laughs> Don't leave town. And so you can't leave oh. town, cause Mario's a law-abiding citizen. Yeah. Oh. And so you're left to explore the town looking for who it could possibly be. But everybody hates you because they think you killed their mayor, so nobody will talk to you. Like in the shop, the shopkeep won't sell to you because they're like, I don't sell to penguin killers. And then like, there's a guy, if you walk up to him, there's just an ellipses. And then he goes, I said ellipses. I don't talk to <laughs> penguin killers. Like, oh, that, that's good. That is some fucking good meta RPG bullshit. The one bullshit. thing that everyone will tell you though, is that they the, the only person who we're like worth talking to is this mysterious uh, crime novelist Herringway <laughs> oh. lives, in, uh, lives in reclusive like up in his tower or whatever writing books. I checked. I don't think there are any adverbs in his speech, so <laughs> kept a lookout for that. Um, and when you go to him, 
as like, oh, it's obviously him. He must have did it and framed me. He's like, no, we'll get right to the bottom of this. Let's go investigate. And you and Hangway decide to go murder mystery investigate, which means taking another look at the body to look for clues. Which is so grim. It's like one of the clues you find. Yeah, one of the clues you find is uh, that he's not dead. (laughs) (laughs) Immediately upon investigating the body, you find out that, oh, this mayor's not dead. (laughs) He was just passed out, sleeping. I don't actually remember what the justification of that is. I I will write a novel called This Mayor's Not Dead. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even think they explain it. Like, I don't remember him giving an excuse. No, they do. He was was going to get Herringway his gift, and he just falls over and has a nap. Oh, I thought the present fell on his head. I don't know. Maybe. I just, just, I was too busy being disappointed that he wasn't actually dead and it wasn't a real penguin murder mystery. That's the thing, is that they introduced the concept of death into the Mushroom Kingdom in this just really brutal way. Like, this this has been the most PG game of all time. Then it's like, this mayor is dead. This is a dead mayor. The dead mayor has been murdered. You already went through Boo Mansion. Like, every, people die. Well, I mean, just like the, like, it's, it's it's always kind of a friendly kind of death, though. Like, even, like, the bad guys aren't really that bad. You know what I mean? It's like all the ghosts went to the Shadow Realm. (laughs) They saw the Midnight Channel. But, yeah, but suddenly it's like... You, the, this this penguin has been murdered. This is a murdered dead penguin. It, dead penguin got murdered, and cold. you have to deal with this. He's a cold, <laughs> unmoving like slab of a body. And I'm like, whoa! And then and then they roll it back, and everything still feels wrong because I'm like, the, everyone, the death is real in for these penguins. Oh, what, the <laughs> best part is how everybody tries to pretend they weren't accusing you of murder five minutes ago. They're all like, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> Oh, my bad. Hey, Didn't mean to cause your murder. can uh, buy from a shop now. Sorry about that. A little embarrassed. <laughs> uh, a little embarrassed. Good. Be on your way. <laughs> you can leave now. Off you go. Oh, my God. And then, like, the wife's like, no, I didn't accuse you. Just totally lying. <laughs> oh, the wife. Oh. <laughs> His wife's so good. She's ridiculous. She's like a Star Trek it was definitely you. You did it. There's no way it couldn't have been you. You're the worst human being alive. Why would you kill my husband? Yeah, like, why did they oh, leave no, in this town? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was alive when I left him in there, therefore it must have been you in marriage. Like, oh! <laughs> really, he just shakes his head a bunch. Yeah, like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's the best, and uh, I was laughing so much. Hilarious. Pretty great. So yeah, I, I guess that's kind of it. Oh, before we, uh, well, anyone got anything else to say? How about that? Bo rules. Uh, Gumbario drools. Ah, Gumbario's fine. He just doesn't do a lot, and I, 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 I ditched him as soon as possible. I, yeah. I brought him in to get health scans. Oh, did anybody do the? Um, I ended up getting a badge that did that, so I was like done with. I just, I just didn't care. I just did the damage until the end. I like died. knowing. It's that's one RPG convention. I, I like knowing. Um, I was gonna ask, like, did anybody do the thing where if you go into the Koopa Village and go into that room where that guy's listening to the radio, if you change the song, they tell you to like bring an item to a specific place to get a prize. Did anybody do any of those? No, I didn't no, do any I didn't of that. Do that, I don't know what that is. Oh, okay. There's a lot of weird little mini quests, yep. and it's really cool. You do favors for an um, old man. You deliver letters. I like that. You can you can hatch pigs. Yeah, you can hatch pigs. You can play weird like 
coin games that I never won in that weird tunnel, the, the playroom or whatever. Yeah, I, I never won any of those either. You can be a dojo master and level up your dojo skills, which I only did once. Alright, Jackson, final thoughts? No, I, I thought the game was great. I had a good time. Like It was a kind of a slog in the first half uh, uh, before it opened up. When it opened up and became just hilarious, cool time, it was the best romp. Yeah. Um, and then as my outro, I wanted to, I probably talked about it in the ad read, but I did an art, like, journal zine thing for this game. You did? Because uh, I played it really early, and I was like, I'm, I want to draw some Mario characters, and what I turned that into is a 25-page uh, sketchbook of my journey through the game, which uh, I'll put links on. You can find at Itch.io and Gumroad. Uh it's free, but, you know, if you kick a few dollars my way, I could buy some more art supplies or something. I don't know. One of those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but please enjoy that as, like, the biggest supplemental thing I've done for one of these it's podcasts. It's really cool. It's really I'm cool. I'm never doing it again. That was it's a lot really of work. Cool. Look forward to this with every game since. No. Next. No. 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 Every game hence, I guess. No. Is the Might language. be something special for the 2016 games. But nothing to this extent. Nope this again. this was a great cool thing. Also, I like I, Mario was the perfect choice for like what to do this about as a thing mm-hmm. to draw. Yeah, no, because all the stuff is really cute. Uh, all of the people of that world are really interesting, and the scenarios are ridiculous. You did some really clever stuff with your art. Like the uh, Mario appearance is uh, is worth it just just for that. There's only one Mario in that entire That's thing. Pretty great. Again. <laughs> I guess you could have expanded and sold a fake Kazumakirio slash novel. <laughs> Someday. Someday. When I play Yakuza 4 and 5. Yep. Yakuza 5 went out for pre-order. Yeah, I know. Pre-order Yakuza 5 now. Fuck! Get a free theme or yeah. something. You also get like 15% off, so why wouldn't you? Shit, I gotta pre-order that. Oh, it's only in America. Oh, if that doesn't come to Europe, I'm gonna be... Oh, I can, I can, I can use my American account. It's okay. That was the entire arc there in two seconds. <laughs> you really went through a roller coaster of emotions, you poor darling. <laughs> With that said, uh, let's roll into the music and then get into our questions. our questions today um if you want to send us a question we always put out a call on twitter but you could send actual long-form questions or stories or anything you want to send really to abnormal mapping podcast at gmail.com and we'll read them um or the first question I- podcast what? at abnormalmapping.com oh right podcast abnormalmapping.com that's very fancy jackson i wasn't prepared no that that it, it redirects to the other one but it sounds like official and cool um I have two things I have. <laughs> I have a question from uh Brogan Hackett uh at Bourbon Brick on Twitter. He asked, Are you excited for the uh Ludlum Dare Jam games? Will you be playing any? Uh and I wanted to talk about this in like Jackson, I know you can't really speak to this because you're still a sans computer. Oh, it's it's um, gonna end soon. Um It's really weird for me because I like the idea of game jams, but I find I never follow them. 
uh, and I feel kind of bad about it. Uh, not so much about the Ludlum Dare games, like whatever, uh, but the Game Boy Jam happened, and that's always my favorite, because you see pictures, and Game Boy Aesthetic is the best. Uh, if I could just get puke green, four-color video games all day every day, I'd be a happy camper. Uh, and I'd love to play them, but I never do. And part of it's maybe, like, part of a large discussion, but I'm, like, I'm in the middle of Okami, and Okami's, like, 25 hours long, and I don't, like... I'm not going to take a night to sit down and play a bunch of small games in the middle of a big game, and it, that's probably, like, the wrong way to approach playing video games, right? I like taking uh, a, a bit. small games break when I'm playing a big game. Sort of like a refresh. I, th- mm-hmm. I think the thing more for me is that I tend to not follow game jams because I don't, like... The chance of, like, I'm, I don't find them, this sounds bad, like, I don't have as much interest in, like, let's see what came out of this jam. Uh, whereas, like, I'll go, I'll go on itch and find interesting small games, but I don't follow, like, the trends of what jams are happening and, like, what, here's a bunch of developers iterating on this idea and this idea. Uh, mm-hmm. which is, I think it's because I'm not a developer or a game maker, I guess. Developer's a bad term. Uh, I don't make games in that way, so I'm not like connected into those conversations. Uh, a lot of game jams seem so much more about uh, people who make the thing, expressing ideas and sharing them. And uh, I would way rather just like if some of those games end up like becoming iterated on and coming out eventually. Like I'll totally play them then, or or I'll like happen to stumble upon the game jam version and play it on itch.io. That's happened before, but I don't like mm-hmm. seek out. Uh, game jam games because the game jam happened i'll just like happen upon them from other ways uh, the plus is that someone will always do the curation work and give you like here's the 10 best game jam games if you like of the game jam Mm -hmm. that curious but uh it's worth it every once in a while to play all of the games of a game jam yeah uh dare in particular the theme this year was you are the monster and from my what i've heard on twitter there are some games that are actually pretty heinous so i probably wouldn't play those um I always think they're worth checking out if, like, you're interested in the theme. But no, they're not something I follow generally. But, like, I have played some cool ones from that specific jam in previous uh, iterations. Hmm. All right. Jackson, you have actual email questions. I have actual email questions. Uh, when this phone loads. Okay. Uh, first one comes in from a friend of the site... Uh, Dylan, Dylan Schneider, that's his name. Um, Dear Mappers, what do you think of the performativity of essay writing? I've come to realize I struggle a lot with the ritual of creating a piece of critical writing that flows and feels good to read. I feel it has any, I feel it really has any impact on the strength of an argument, but it has a huge impact on the way people perceive it. Please discuss. Thank you. Thank you. Also, another question. Please talk about penis insecurity. Woo. Yay. I played a game about that. It was a, I think it was a twine game. And, like, everything was on, like, lined paper. And you had to look at yourself in the mirror. And that was one of the things you could uh, be insecure about in the game. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the name of it. So if I can find it. It was that... Upon Reflection. Oh, Upon Reflection. Yes, I played it because you wrote about it. Also, could you reread yeah. that question? Because you read it really fast and I only caught, like... What do you think of the performativity of essay writing? I've come to realize I struggle a lot with the ritual of creating a piece of critical writing that flows and feels good to read. I feel it really rarely has any impact on the strength of an argument, but it has a huge impact on the way people perceive it. Please discuss. Thank you. Thank you. Um. Okay. Uh, do you want to no, go ahead? You go Destiny? ahead. Um. So, part of the reason I don't, I'm really 
like I'll, I'll admit one of my faults is I'm super dismissive of people who write essays about the topic du jour in games about like this is actually true of any field but games in particular because the topic du jour is always the same thing six weeks removed uh but being part of a critical conversation only matters if the critical conversation is going anywhere and in actuality it's people spending their tires in the same gestures of like if you have a critical stance that's great but I actually think that it is performative in that unless you're applying it to the actual act of criticism, like it's cool to have these pie in the sky ideas about critical theory, but I don't see that in the actual work as it applies to critiquing the games. And if you're not actually critiquing the games, then why are you, what are you writing criticism about when you're writing games criticism exactly? And all I think people really need to do is write smartly and earnestly about their subject and if they do that that'll carry the day even if like the writing is not full of all of the jargon that the conversation has created as like this is the appropriate jargon like it's amazing to me the words that have become like verboten in video games like oh ludonarrative distance you shouldn't say that no it's fine like the thing that it depicts is a real thing that people can talk about and is worth discussion like everyone hisses when you say like uh, ludocentrism or whatever the term is today that means the exact same thing. But as long as everyone knows what you mean, you define your terms, have, just have an earnest reaction to something. And that's enough. Uh, so for me, as someone who one, uh, writes more, but two, more importantly, um, gets far more anxious and about the way that writing is perceived, uh, I have a little bit more, like, I feel like I understand what Dylan means a bit more in that I don't think it's about like having to fit in with a critical conversation and more just about like considering outside stuff too much when doing a, like a bit of writing. Like it's like, okay, uh, is this good? Like, am I coming across right in this way? Should I be approaching it in this way? Like it does a bit of it factors into like what is the current topic of the juror and how should I be doing this? But that's not the only way of, uh, approaching something in a performative manner it just like there is a sense of falseness when you present yourself through writing and that'll like always be the case like you're always kind of editing yourself and editing your personality in a way as you put it into words uh and i like i get that insecurity a lot when i uh write essays i think that it should be less about topic du jour and more about having an opinion and wanting to like support it and be interesting because that's the thing that's gonna last because all those essays about ludonarrative dissonance like you're only gonna remember a handful you're not gonna remember every single one but everybody remembers like something that stood out to them personally that kind of went against the grain i don't i don't actually think i don't know how do how do we get to that like yeah i don't even know um, if that's what dylan was talking about i don't think dylan was actually asking about well uh, the word performative uh, and that's why i thought maybe it was like thinking about your audience way too much but also it's like since we're not really connected to like capital g c games culture in that way like essay writing you should just um don't overthink it like if you really have something that you want to say try your best to say it is that good answering (laughs) (laughs) i absolutely take performative to mean being part of that broader conversation the fact that everyone feels the need to write about like nostalgia like a couple weeks ago or formalism earlier this year uh what 
Should I tell you the next question? Well, we're we're not done with Dylan yet. He had a part B. No, but the next question is entitled "Question on Nostalgia." Okay, great. But <laughs> uh, Destiny, I unless you actually have opinions on this, I assume you can't really speak to penis and security. Well, no, like I said, I played upon reflection. I thought that okay. it, uh, like you know, I'm a I'm a lady in a patriarchy, so I get general body insecurity. But that's a unique one, and it's it's nice to know that, like, you know, that's being explored in games. Um, Nobody's writing books about well, it, he, right? He he kind of just wanted our thoughts on it, <laughs> yeah. about how it... Jackson, you want to go ahead? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's something that's right. kind of, like, pushed into society, and I don't get it. Well, I guess it's sort of like boob size, isn't it? Like it's measured on your desirability, but it, no one actually like it, it. It's impressed upon you that that's something that people are going to measure you by. But like, like, no pun intended. But really, it doesn't <laughs> actually mean anything in the real world. It's it's really interesting to me because I was always like I was introduced to the concept at the same time I was introduced to the idea that that's like this weird thing that guys feel that's ridiculous because no one actually right, yeah cares. no one cares and so I don't understand the two together, but. Also, like, I have body insecurities, but none of it have to do with that. And, like, that stems out of, like, other, like, other reasons. But, yeah, I, like, I don't, like, everyone talks about, like, dick measuring contests in, like, games a lot. Or, like, as a way of, like, performative masculinity. Like, because basically, penis insecurity is about, you know, the guy with the biggest dick or, i.e., the most masculine is best. Oh, yeah. But... None of us really buy into that culture that much anymore, so I don't know if we're the people to ask. Well, I have a thing to say about that, in that, like, so I have a lot of insecurity in that sense, but it also, like, intersects with gender feelings that I have, uh, which I kind of wrote a little bit about in One Piece, um, but not that much. Uh, in the, like, you have this feeling, like, and you look at your body and you're like, this body is bad and is does not live up to the ideas it is. Like, like, you know, I feel fat and ugly and just all a bunch of things and like the penis and security comes into it and it's like, I do not live up to the ideal of this thing that I am supposed to be. But you also have, at least uh, you also have, I also have in my head, like, this feeling that I don't, like, belong in the body I have, like, I don't think it, like, matches up to my self-image in more than a way of, like, um, like, it's a a gender thing, like, I don't actually feel like a guy, and I don't know how to, like, explore that, uh, that much, so I try to just not think about it, but the conflict that creates is me thinking, okay, I'm not masculine enough, like, I look at, you know, down there and think, that's not masculine enough to be masculine ideal, but I can't just change it and become a, like, an ideal of a different genre, a genre, a genre gender. Of body. <laughs> different genre I body. I sing of the body genre. <laughs> yeah, but I still feel tied to it and like I don't, like I would, like I have an internalized awful feelings of gender and that I don't feel like I would be legitimate in other genders with this stuff, even though I don't like hold that belief to anyone else. Like, I don't actually believe that, uh, like, bodies affect gender in any way, and that's, like, a, com- a completely personal thing. Uh, but the toxic values of a culture that does do that are still deeply ingrained in my brain and make it difficult for me. Like, so it just, it just, it's just a whole disaster, and I feel awful about it all the so time. So it's like you don't buy into it, 
logically, but emotionally, you kind of feel it anyway. Yeah, because it's like, okay, I don't buy into it, but there's no, there's nothing else for me to buy into, so I don't know what to do. I feel trapped by it. I feel confused. Yeah. And, I don't know, I feel really weird talking about gender stuff, because for all intents and purposes, I'm just a white dude, so I don't actually have, like, I make it very clear to not, uh like speak to being anything else because i have so much privilege and everything so i like i have the privilege and freedom to talk about this as an intellectual idea rather than like a awful violent reality of my life so i feel weird even discussing it uh but that's that's how that intersects me in a bit of a long-winded not very good way but i hope that was interesting to a couple people uh, look forward to the eventual goof zone where we're probably going to actually talk about this. If you want, we can, do, we can, we can go. Set that up. I think, I think it'd be interesting. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm down. I think we could have a very intense gender and sexuality discussion. It's uh, we'll overdue. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, we'll promote your appearance on the goof zone later, but first. Next question. Question on this nostalgia from Zaya Speed. Uh, are there any nostalgia-based throwback video games that are interesting in their own right? Is there any media that engages with video game nostalgia in a productive way? This was sent around the re- release of Pixels, and that topic gets to your discussion. Um, so Retro Game Challenge is the actual correct answer here. Um, Hell yeah. In that it is... So Retro Game Challenge is a DS game that in Japan... It's Game is, Center CX, right? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's based on Game Center CX, which is about a guy who... Uh, basically is forced to play old video games until he beats them and he talks about how hard they are all the time. But the actual game is you and your friend on summer vacation in like the 80s and every chapter is like he gets new NES games and new like EGM issues. Like the localization is really good in that it's clearly like puns on writers of the era for those games. Or from those game magazines, and you play through the games, and you look at the magazines to get like hints and uh, tricks. And the games are built to be like the progression from here's like an arcade game here, and all the way up to like here's like the Mario one, or here's like a very early like uh, Final Fantasy one RPG, and it gives you this sense of what it was like to live through. Oh, these are entirely new genres coming out, but also discovering what it was like to play games of that era through the uh, interaction with you and like your friends growing up, but also through like magazines that you'd get. And sometimes you get them out of order or you'd get ones that they had like, Oh, here's this trick from this game that you put away like months ago. And so you go back to the game that you haven't played in like three chapters and you find something really new in it. And it's exciting. Um, but you could even extend that to, uh, I had the perfect game and it was something that I thought Jackson would have something to say about. And now I can't remember it. Cause I went on game center CX too much. Oh, it actually, it isn't something you have anything to say about Jackson, but okay. we were talking about NES Remix, uh, the other day. Oh, right. As, here is an, like, almost like tutorials for NES games, but it actually ends up framing it as, look at what these old games can teach you about game design if you pay attention to what their rule sets are, and how your opinions about the games will change if we just, like, tweak one of the variables in the rules through the Remix stages that the game is, like, sold on. And that stuff's really interesting, too. Um, and those are like very clear nostalgia packages. But we, uh, we're recording this on the day that Mega Man Legacy Collection comes out, which is not really like a nostalgia game so much as like someone trying to actually do game preservation, which is a topic that we uh, all care about a lot. Yeah. Um, 
and is very exciting. I would like to see more games try for actual nostalgia in like a constructive way like those games. Uh, I feel like so often you get like the Matt Hazards of the world, uh, which is not particularly interesting. Or even something like... Uh, Oh, now I can't think of that game. Uh, Bulletstorm? No, there was like that, uh, that, uh, like Steam game, like that downloadable game where you start Shit. out as like. Fuck, uh, Evo Land. Yeah, Evo Land. Oh, I was so which bad. Is like a, like a neat idea, but the actual game is interminable and awful. So. What about I don't games know. that uh, kind of use that as their gimmick, but like aren't about that overall, like Shovel Knight or, um,. I wouldn't, the thing is, I don't actually think Shovel Knight is like a nostalgia really? game. It, it picks an aesthetic of an era, but like it doesn't have like fake sprite flicker or anything. They just made a game that looks like those games as like an artistic kind choice. Of, I don't know. I always, I thought it felt like. And people always like criticize those games as like nostalgia games, but I think that's really unfair to what those games are trying to do. Like looking like an old game isn't necessarily a nostalgia grab. No. Like you can, like, is Minecraft, like, nostalgia because it's pixelated? Right, exactly. I don't really think so. That'd just be like like saying, God damn it, all these Tarantino movies are nostalgia movies. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. And people make those arguments, but I don't think they're very, like, smart arguments. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, they kind of ignore how media works in general. Like, you're always going to mm-hmm. kind of reference something, even if it's unintentional. But, like, I think we've played games this year that have engaged with nostalgia in a way far more complicated than just like the games you played when you were younger, but now. Good like, point. both Attack on the Friday Monsters, uh, Attack of the Friday Monsters and Yakuza 3 have, like, like a very deep ways about engaging with, like, this feeling of things that you've lost and, like, wanting... Or, like, not. actual nostalgia, yeah, like, actual yes. nostalgia is a real concept, because I feel like when people talk about nostalgia in video games, it's purely in terms of, like... Uh, what that means for our relation to old products but nostalgia as a feeling is a way more complex and human thing that can be explored in a variety of ways and is in many games Uh, so I don't want to reduce nostalgia to just but then you could also like another track you could take is games like Gone Home or Her Story which are nostalgic in like their presentation and form but not actually like they're not about nostalgia but they evoke it through their setting I think mm. Gone Home might is a little bit more about nostalgia than her story. I would say but, that is like Gone Home has a setting that is meant to evoke nostalgia, but the story it tells is like quintessentially modern the, and on purpose yeah, sto- that way. Yeah, the story it tells is, but I think there's way more in that game of just you looking through and going, "Oh shit, X Files tapes." Like it get it has that feeling of like like the character is coming back to their own home. Like the nostalgia is even though it's like a home they don't understand, it's a new home. Like it's exploring their family and this place that they left and these people that they used to know but have now moved away from like sure but that's not that's not like that ends up being like the hook for the player that's not actually any of the thematic thrust i i think that is like a cool way that gone like like you say the hook for the player but i don't think that discredits it as being one of the things that games works with maybe but like i when i talk about either of those games i wouldn't talk about them as games about nostalgia but they do contain it and use it as part of its vocabulary for giving you a piece of fiction yeah sure but i don't think like any one thing is like about any one thing mm-hmm. uh like i think gone home is a f- like far more nostalgia but also that's also me like reading uh just teen r- romance story like the idealistic teen romance that uh, Gone Home has is very nostalgic kind of romance to me. 
but I like. That's... I really don't. I don't think like I don't agree with that at yeah, all. Yeah, but like <laughs> on on paper, I guess it could be read that way. But to me, like the way that it's like a story that is very clearly not meant to end on a negative note, and like the queerness of the narrative is meant to be kind of like a transgression against the kind of like heartsick teens have faded love story that like the actual thing that people are nostalgic for is oh, where like, yeah, they be kept new- apart or it doesn't work out or like something bad happens like that's what the actual story that it's evoking is mm-hmm. and the fact that it's not to me is like actively fighting against the kind of nostalgia or like i don't know nostal- if don't- you replace nostalgia with like cultural uh inertia like it makes sense like why it's transgressive against that sort oh of it's thing. totally transgressive thing but i think it's like uh nostalgic in terms of like uh op- this optimistic sense of the world in the same way something like moonrise kingdom is like that's a thing i compared to i don't I, think- I don't think applying the same kind of like optimism in moonrise kingdom as like these kids at summer camp in this like hetero relationship versus gone home i don't i think that's really unfair I- as a read like that it, that discounts a lot of like the importance of representation in a medium that doesn't I think do what Jackson is trying to say is that like when you play gone home if you've experienced that kind of romance as a teen it kind of takes you back to that Oh, that's what I'm saying. And I'm saying it's like, uh, like I know it totally. Like the queer representation is totally important. I don't want to discount. Yeah, I don't that think ever, Jackson, but meant, like, wasn't going no, down that I, road. I wasn't going down that like, road too. Because like Kingdom saying, kind like, of also like if you had a young camp love, it, it might evoke nostalgia for that as you watch it. And maybe I am wrong in terms of like its target audience, but I don't think that game is intended for teens to play maybe like i know it kind of is because like steve's talked about their love of um shit what's that uh, my Sassy? so-called life oh uh, well that too. Uh, so like it does have that angle but when it's like played by adults it's totally about what it was like to be a teenager it's like i remember trapper keepers and tape mixtapes yeah, i remember trapper keepers and i remember this and i remember when i would want to run away with someone because like i love them but it's not like and- a universal thing but i guess no, no nostalgia is universal never mind it's not a universal thing but i do think that in the way that game presents itself to adults it and i'm, I'm not saying this is a criticism of the game i just think that it's a facet of it and i think it uh makes like i don't think it makes it less powerful i don't think it like erases the queer narrative of it but i do think it taps into a nostalgia in its like adult players okay was there a part b to that question or did we hit everything uh, the part b was just what pieces of media to think engage with video game nostalgia in a productive way. Uh, it says, oh, okay. are there well, any any nostalgia-based slash throwback video games that are interesting in their own right? And I think you talked about that with, like, Shovel Knight. I Night thought and, they meant, yeah. like, media outside of video games. Like, Wreck-It yeah. Ralph. Oh, when... yeah. Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck-It Ralph is really good. Um, In terms of, like, nostalgia criticism, I mean, that's kind of... We talked about great games as, like, a thing we wanted to do with that. But if you look at something like... Retronauts or Crontendo or Jeremy Parrish's uh, Game Boy World videos. I think that's kind of like a nostalgic look that is using nostalgia as a framework for actual understanding of what used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and like hopefully Mario Maker is that. Like we're waiting, very excited for Mario Maker. The 11th uh, of that is September. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, never forget the day the Mario Maker happened. Wow. 
the day Luigi dies. <laughs> okay, so I guess that's it. Uh, you know where to send us questions. If you don't, it's podcast.abnormalmapping.com. And they were singing um, bye, bye, that green Mary Jackson, guy. shut up. <laughs> Destiny, what are we playing next month? Next month, we are playing Forward. It's called Forward. Frame. See? Words. Sorry, everybody. I'm sleepy. <laughs> it's, let's redo that. Ask me again. Destiny, what are you playing next month? I'm not going to edit this. This is the worst part. I'm oh, not going to remember. Oh, but you should when you listen to it, because we're playing Framed, and... And who's Framed I by? I don't know, actually, because um, it's not out on Android yet, but it's sort of a comic panel story thingamajig where you sort of like rearrange, like parts of the game to tell a particular story and i thought that it was yep. interesting it's in ios i have to wait for it to come out before we can start playing it but so framed is by love shack it's by love shack uh, that. yep it, and uh most noteworthy <laughs> was koji uh hideo kojima's favorite game action game of this year it's not an action last game. Year, oh really See, i didn't know game. any of that i didn't know if you were leading me to that i'm like i didn't know that Tin roof rusted. So that's what we're playing. That's very exciting. Uh, and uh, where can everybody find you, Jackson? You go first. I am at Headfuls Off on Twitter. Headfulsoff.com is where you can find all the other stuff I do. I do Trashback Ratio with uh, these folk and Kyle Turner. And I do Goof Zone with Destiny Sturdivant. And next. The uh, next episode going up that we haven't recorded yet is going to be with Matt as well, and we're going to be talking yeah, talk about learning. You, you could have asked me first. I did, but it, that was like weeks ago, and it got delayed. Okay. You said yes to recording this, but like, yeah, in, in a different. I didn't realize life. it was like, yeah, I didn't realize it was like actually real and coming. Okay, Destiny, where can people At find you? Fridge Buzz now on the Twitter. I'm also a co-host of Badland Girls badlandgirls.com a junk culture conversation cast we will be performing uh in benson for first friday so if you're in omaha check us out and um also oh yeah the podcasts that jackson mentioned trashback ratio and goof zone Alright, well, while Destiny goes off to bed, I guess, you can find us at abnormalmapping.com. Please rate and review us on iTunes. You can check out our YouTube videos. Jackson's still going through Zelda. Uh, it's a great time. He's going through Star, Lego Star Wars, which is a hilarious time. Uh, and I'm playing uh, Fallout New Vegas. Uh, you just go into YouTube, type in abnormal mapping, you'll get to those. Uh, please check out my, uh, art zine thing. Uh, come back next time. We're gonna play video games and talk about them. Look it's gonna for be great. Our great games pieces. Go check out the great games pieces. Uh, just tell your friends about the podcast. That's check all I want. Out. I'm just going to admonish it every time. Please, please, please check tell out Tell five friends to tell five friends. I did that joke last. Did you really? Like, the last real okay. episode, yes. Um, send out a carrier <laughs> pigeon. I don't know. That's not a joke. That's very serious. Mm-hmm. It's very Drive serious. the Cooper to the blooper, but the blooper was dry. <laughs> It doesn't even make okay, sense. Okay, everybody go home. We're Bye. done. <laughs> <laughs>